Hello, friends, and welcome back to the While We're Waiting Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. This is a podcast of stories, stories of devastating loss and grief and heartbreak and struggle, and stories of hope and healing and faith and, yes, even joy. Underlying every conversation is the hope we have in Jesus Christ, which makes it possible to not just survive the loss of a child, but to live well while we're waiting to see them again in heaven one day. You can learn more about our ministry and the free bereaved parent retreats we host by visiting our website at www.whilewe'rewaiting.org. Welcome to episode number 180. A few weeks ago, my husband Brad and I had the opportunity to participate in a live webinar along with our friends Keith and Shonda Freer, who are the founders of the Grief Hope Ministry. Our topic was The Grieving Husband and the Grieving Wife, and we discussed the impact of grief on marriage, including how men and women express grief differently, how we can respect those differences and support our spouses, and how the biblical principles of marriage still apply when we're grieving. We also debunk the oft-repeated myth about the high percentage of marriage failure following child loss and identify where that idea came from. Our conversation is also available on YouTube, and I'll include that link in the show notes. Next week, we'll be back to our usual interview format, and I hope you'll come back then to hear a powerful story of God's provision amid unimaginable loss from my friend Barbara Scorza. For now, I hope you'll find some help and hope in our discussion about marriage after child loss. We're Gary and Laura House, and our topic tonight is the grieving husband and the grieving wife. We are very excited and grateful to have Brad and Jill Sullivan and Keith and Shonda Freer with us tonight. They did this workshop at the most recent Our Hearts Are Home conference, and so many people talked about how helpful it was and some just tremendous insights and information. So we asked them if they'd be willing to do this as a webinar, and we are very excited that you guys are here. So we are going to just turn it over to you. Thanks, y'all. All right. Thank you, Laura. Uh, we are Brad and Jill Sullivan. We're uh, from Hot Springs, Arkansas. We've been married for 36 years, and we are the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. And uh, we entered this grief journey 14 years ago when our 17-year-old uh, uh, daughter went to heaven from brain cancer. Uh, she battled the illness for a year, and she had a, a grade four glioblastoma, but she taught us a lot in this journey, and um, we're, we're happy to be here tonight to share a little bit about our, our, our grief journey as, as a husband and wife and, and what we've learned and what we continue to learn from others as well, and we're excited about being here. Uh, we're Keith and Shonda Freer. Um, we're from Alexandria, Indiana, and um, we've been married for 34 years. We uh, lost our daughter, Megan. It's been five years now. And this is a photo of her. Uh, Megan was 21 when she went to heaven and uh, she died by suicide. And we can share a little bit more about that as we go on. But we found that uh, through this journey that our marriage has grown stronger and uh, just relying on each other. And so we were excited to be able to partner with uh, Gary and Laura and Brad and Jill to talk about that and uh, what it means for husbands and wives to be able to grieve together uh, through the experience of child loss. So glad to be here. All right. Well, um, I want to start off by just kind of talking about 
a husband's grief, a man's grief, and and just share some thoughts about that. And uh, we'll probably cover some topics that you may maybe want questions to. And uh, we do invite your questions. But uh, I just have a few few things I wanted to talk about specifically about a man's grief and. Uh, this is just things that we've learned and, and we've experienced and we've also learned from other people. But but one thing that that I think that for men, it's uh, you know, it's tough for us to to share our feelings. And we're sometimes stoic at times. And uh, and that's not all men. And uh, and but but we have found out that that is that is pretty normal that, you know, this we have to be strong for our, for our family, for our wife, for our other kids and it's just hard for us sometimes to share how we're truly feeling. And, and that's something we'll talk more about, but just being able to communicate your, your feelings and uh, to your spouse and to others has been real, very helpful, but our, our stereotype in, in society is, you know, we've got to be strong. We, we, we don't want to show too much emotion, you know, that's, that's not societal uh, norm sometimes, but um, you know, we found that to be the case. Uh, but, but what we, realizes that we have to, you know, for me personally, I, I, I found out real quick that the, my, my emotions was strong and I, I was always pretty emotional, but after Hannah went to heaven, I was very emotional. And, and those that know what we do and while we're waiting, um, my, my tears flow pretty easily and, uh, and that's okay. And I, I think that, you know, I had a gentleman share that with me early on in our journey and said, Brad, the, the tears are okay. And, and that kind of, it was, it was freeing to, 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 for him to say that to me. And, and that, that helped me. And I, I took his word for it. So I, if people that know me know that I, you know, I, I listened well when he said that, but, uh, but it's okay to show your emotions, uh, but that's not the norm. You know, the other thing is that uh, we have to be strong for our, for our wife and our kids. And, and, and I think as, as dads and as husbands, we want to fix everyone. And, and that's pretty common. We've heard a lot, lot from a lot of dads and husbands uh, throughout the years that we've been doing this and, and understanding that ourselves is that we want to, we want to be the fixers and that's our role in our, in our family, you know, whatever there's a need, then we've got to come to, to fix. And, and I, I can say the, the day of diagnosis with our daughter's brain cancer, my first thought was, how are we going to fix this? And then I had to come to terms with, you know, I didn't, I couldn't fix this, you know, uh, when we've got the diagnosis and knew how serious it was, but that, that was my initial reaction as, as a dad and as, a, as a father. Also, another thing that's pretty common is that dads are less likely to talk about their grief. We've had dads that, you know, they're, they've come to retreats and we do specifically a one day dad, dad's event and, and it's been interesting to, to see that it's when those dads get there and they're they're in a safe place where they can talk, they talk a lot. But um, we have seen that back to that stereotype. It's just you know you got to be strong. You can't show your emotions. And you know we've had we've had dads that come to uh, one of our early retreats and he said I've talked more about my son in this last uh, day than I have in in two years since he went to heaven. And so, uh, but that's. A common thing as far as uh, just not wanting to talk about the or the grief. The other thing that that I think is uh, those of you that may be on a just beginning this journey, you're forced to go back as the dad as the husband. A lot of times you're forced to have to go back to work pretty soon, 
to support your family. And that's that that makes it difficult that you're back into that routine and you've got to hide your emotions at work a lot of times. And so, that, you know, that, that complicates things for dads. But that is something that we found out. But, uh, you know, I was back at work in, in three weeks and or two and a half weeks. And uh, it, it was tough, but uh, I was grateful that I had an understanding work environment that supported me. And uh, so, but that's not always the case. I'll tell you something that helped me in my grief journey as a dad and as a father and as a husband is that I had to remember that my heavenly father loves my child and loves our children more than we do. And, and I had to, I could rest in knowing that Hannah was secure and safe uh, as, as that was my role with my, my kids and they were younger, but I know that even as, as older uh, dads or kids are out around, we still feel obligated to take care of our kids and support them even when they're adults. But uh, it really helped me to, to really rest in knowing that for me to know that my Hannah was in good hands and she was in a safe place where she was created to be and, and, and hold on to that. And, uh, and that took time. I, 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 for you that are on this, new in this journey, that just over time, but you have to just remind yourselves of some of these things and what you know is true and hold on to, to the truth of God. And we'll talk more about that later on. So Keith, you got something to share? Yeah, just a lot of the same things as what Brad mentioned, but um, uh, men may seem to want to be angry and maybe uh, be more silent um, in dealing with their grief maybe avoidance, um, some of those things. And I think that's kind of natural for men and maybe women initially. And I would just, you know, encourage men to uh, look at that, recognize that, and then try to be able to move beyond that. I I was kind of not really angry, but just baffled, you know, that this, this happened, this occurred mm-hmm. with my, my daughter and, um, you know, maybe a little bit of, of, of anger, but it was just more just, this isn't supposed to be, this isn't, you know, mm-hmm. supposed to happen. So, um, you know, that's my personal experience with that. And I was not a crier, emotional person before this, but afterwards I can cry um, when I'm thinking about Megan. And I think that's totally fine and that's totally acceptable and um, I want to encourage men, if they feel that way, to be able to do that as well. So I work in public service. I'm a part-time police officer and firefighter. And um, not only, you know, with men, is there that kind of, you know, attitude or expectation that, oh, you've got to be strong and don't show emotion. But, you know, in some professions, it's there as well. But um, we can show that. We can express that. I've seen a couple of guys, you know, crying up front at the podium at their firefighter retirement um, service. So, um, you know, this is this is fine to do, whether it's crying or just you need a moment to get away, um, you know, that type of thing. So, yeah, just encourage um, men to again, communication is going to be a key thing um, with your loved one, um, with your family members. And um, just maybe coming up with a way that you can express your your grief and and let that pressure um, relief valve, you know, um, be open. 
um, with those feelings that you have. Um, so something that was helpful for me um, was I've got close to an hour commute to work and I just found some Christian music. A lot of it, um, you know, at times is lament or grief oriented and um, that hit home with me. And then two or three songs later, there's going to be praises and, you know, coming around and being able to realize who you are in Christ. And, and he is ultimately in control and he is our comforter and he guides us in, in anything that, that happens. So that assurance of who he is helped us through a lot of our grief and, and that's just a suggestion, you know, music. Um, I cried, you know, a lot mm -hmm. driving, listening to that music. So, you know, if that's not you and, um, you know, a lot of guys may not be readers, but um, any more um, books on audio and on tape, if you do have a commute or you've got time alone, maybe check out some some of those books that are related to grief or loss that might be um, audio, and uh, I'm sure that could be a comfort to you as well. So, yeah, just uh, some some thoughts there. Yeah, and then some thoughts about how women tend to express grief. Um, it seems like women are more verbal processors. You know, they kind of talked about how the men are a little bit more quiet, don't talk about their grief as much. Mm -hmm. I think women, for the most part, not all women, are much more likely to talk through their grief. They're more likely to seek out people to talk to. They're the ones that are going to seek out friends to talk to or look into support groups or things like that because they just have a need, many of them, to talk through their experience, talk through what has happened to them. And sometimes their husbands are just not in a place where they want to talk that much. And so they have to find, women often have to find um, a safe person or safe people that they can talk to. Women, I think, too, are more likely to express their grief through tears. Um, both of the guys tonight have said that that um, has become more natural to them. Mm -hmm. But I think women uh, more naturally will express grief through tears. Another thing that I hear a lot of women say, especially in the early weeks, days, weeks, months of grief, is that they sometimes will just stay in bed for a day or two days at a time. And I'm, I don't ever hear men saying that. So I think mm -hmm. that's maybe something that women do a little bit more. And that's not abnormal. Um, if you are one of those women that's at the beginning of your grief journey or men for that example, for, for that matter, and you find yourself wanting to stay in bed uh, for a while, that's okay. And like I said, women, I think are more likely to to reach out for help in their grief and, and try to find something that will help them. Now, I will say that not all women are this way. Um, Brad and I actually are a little bit opposite in that. <laughs> in some ways, he grieves more like a woman and I grieve more like a man. And that's okay. We know that's the way we are and it works for us. We give each other grace mm -hmm. to grieve the way we each need to grieve. So Shonda, how about you? No, I would agree with everything that everyone has said so far. And I am more the stereotypical verbal processor and crier and have to talk it out ad nauseum. And that's true about the dishes tonight, you know. <laughs> so it's definitely true about um, grief. Uh, and 
What we found, I think, um, through that er those early months of grief was that what we knew to be true about each other was still true in grief. It, we just had to apply it to a different experience. And I needed Keith to listen, and he did. And he's he's learned that through the years. So um, he just continued to um, apply that. We laughed at the conference because one of the notes that is on his sheet is patience. And um, he would have said that 30 years ago. So again, that's not new, um, but it's it just is patience with me talking over and over and over saying the same things. But that was important to just be able to process. And then also just to recognize that the things about our personality that were true before this experience, mm -hmm. like I said, continue to be true. So I turned to books, um, scripture being one of them, but um, one of the funniest things now to us is that that first summer he wanted to work out in the yard and that was therapeutic to him, which that's true always. So he's outside in our front yard with big loppers trimming a tree while I'm following along behind him, reading him a book. And I thought, I wonder what in the world these neighbors are thinking of us. Um, but again, that was a great opportunity for us to, you know, um, hear, you know, the same ideas at the same time and comment on that. So, yeah. So I guess, you know, we've talked a little bit about stereotypes and how our uniquenesses um, get expressed in that way. But I would just also iterate, I think Jill said, you know, just finding what works for each of you and then giving mm -hmm. each other the space to grieve in the way that you need to grieve. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you following him around reading the book while he's lopping off the shrubbery is a perfect example of that. You know, you each were doing what you needed to be doing at that time and uh, you work together in that. So I love that, that visual <laughs> picture that that gives me when I hear that. I think we've probably all heard that after the loss of a child, 70, 80, 90 percent of marriages fail. Um, if we had a show of hands of who all has heard that, I would imagine just about everybody has. And sometimes people will say it to you as if they're being helpful. And that's not really a helpful thing to say for sure. And it's also not true. Um, so where did that come from? Where did that idea come from that child loss is the death knell of a marriage? Um, there's a lady named Harriet Schiff who wrote a book called The Bereaved Parent that was published in 1977. And in that book, she was trying to make a point about the stress that child loss can cause on a marriage. And she just kind of threw out a number and made an arbitrary statement that 90% of marriages fail after the loss of a child. And that number just kind of gained a lot of traction and people began to repeat it. And um, it, it became treated almost as if it was a, a proven fact. But Harriet herself has since stated that she was not trying to be when she said that she really didn't mean for that statistic to be considered a, a scientific fact or a reliable number. She was just trying to make a point when she used that number. But, you know, the damage was done at that point. And after that, speakers and writers have quoted those statistics that 70 percent, 80 percent, 90 percent of marriages fail with no real scientific basis for those numbers. 
Um, the other thing that kind of made that probably the perfect storm at that time was back in the 70s and 80s is when the divorce rate overall among all marriages began to really rise. And so it kind of fed into that myth as well um, that the loss of a child is likely to be the death knell of a marriage. Uh, but Shondo, you've got some other things to share about that. Yes, there was an article uh, in the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy that pointed to a lit review or a meta-analysis of all the studies that at the time, this would have been published in 1999. So it's older, but it points to the fact that all of these studies in reviewing what was the impact of child loss on marital discord or satisfaction, the main finding of all of those studies was that to be able to draw conclusions that it, that it is difficult to be able to draw conclusions about marital disruption after child loss. So in other words, there was not conclusive evidence nor correlation that child loss directly impacted marital strain. And another finding from that study was that the many times after child loss, there, there can be health impacts mm -hmm. to the husband or wife and that it's those long-term effects on individual health that might have marital implications, and again, may have. And then finally, if there were marital problems prior to the death of a child, then the stress of child loss may exacerbate that strain. So once again, not the be-all and end-all that child loss definitively is mm -hmm. going to cause marital stress and or divorce. And in fact, in another 1999 survey um, that was affirmed by a 2006 Compassionate Friends survey, 16% of all parents who had lost children that were surveyed said that they divorced. And that was, as Jill said, far below the national average of 40 to 50%. And of the 16% who divorced, only 4% said that it was because of the death of a child. So it's a very small percentage. And um, again, is, is it a stressor on a marriage? It can be, but it, it doesn't have to end a marriage by any means. Mm -hmm. And in fact, our personal experience, and I know the Sullivans would say this, and the people that we work with, more often than not, we hear that it is the loss of the child that drew the spouses closer and strengthened yes. the marriage. We would say that. Yeah. Nancy Guthrie, in one of her books, talks about, you know, a, a husband and wife after the loss of a child are like two wounded soldiers going across or walking across a battlefield and leaning on each other, you know, for support as they, as they move forward. And to me, that's the picture that I've always thought of um, with us mm -hmm. in our grief is that we were, we were wounded in the battle, but we were going to help each other uh, get across that battlefield. And I think, I do think that you, that we have to be intentional and mm -hmm. how we steward our grief as spouses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of that is what we've already talked about, giving each other grace. So I think that's I think that's really important. But I also just think it's important for people to realize that those statistics are not true mm -hmm. and that it that it shouldn't just be like, oh, well, I guess that's the end of our marriage now. Fight for your marriage. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, that's something we have to do anyway, even without the mm -hmm. loss of a child being a stressor. But Please don't 
think that just because you've experienced the loss of a child, you are also going to lose your marriage. So I hope that's a reassuring to some folks. Yeah. And I think, go ahead, Brad. Well, I'm just going to just comment back to what you said earlier is be reminded of, of our personalities prior to child loss and, and just understanding each other's personality and, and how they process things before our kids uh, went to heaven, you know, just be reminded of that. That's, she knows my personality before and now she understands me and I understand her and that, that helps. Uh, and then the other thing that I think that we're, we're grateful for is, is in our journey of leaning on each other. There's days that I was stronger and I, I wasn't, I was up and she was down and, and then there was days that I was down and she was up. And so in that analogy of the two wounded soldiers, she was carrying me or I was carrying her, but we wasn't needing eat to, both to be carried at, at, at almost down days. And so we're grateful for that. So, yeah, I that's think that's true. a gift from God mm-hmm. because I hear that a lot. Um, yeah. From, from parents. yeah. And it's neat how God does that because yeah, when one is down, the other one is usually there to be able to help or, or carry them along. So, yeah. yeah. What I was going to say was just a personal example of our situation with, Uh, Megan's death, it was so emergent. And so we were literally at the hospital. And the first, I I mean, it was just so instinctual. But the first thing that we did was just hugged each other and said, we are not going to blame each other. We're, you know, Mm -hmm. this is Satan attacking us. And he's taken our daughter, he's not going to take our marriage. And Mm -hmm. we're grateful that the Lord just, the Holy Spirit just flooded us with that image and that message in the mm-hmm. first minutes, and we just committed to that, which is is the same image you all are using. That it it's a battle, and mm-hmm. um, we have to be soldiers and fight, even though we're carrying one another as the Lord carries us. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, and I know you guys have done some study in the love languages, so talk about that a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, um, it's uh, there's been a book out for quite a while called uh, Love Languages by Gary Chapman. And uh, Sean and I um, really enjoy that book and basically the, the the principles to it. Basically, you can express your love in a relationship in five different ways. Um, they include spending quality time together or words of encouragement or physical touch or acts of service. And then the last one is gift giving. So um, it seems that, you know, everyone, you know, is an individual. And uh, one of those will probably speak to a a certain person more than the others. Or maybe there might be two that uh, really work out. So so the husband and wife to, you know, recognize um, what love language works the best for your spouse is an important thing just in everyday marriage. You know, we talk about, you know, is our uh, our love tank feeling low or is it halfway or is it full? So, you know, speaking that love language will fill up or keep that tank full. So that's kind of nice. You know, these love languages, I think, are important as well in um, child loss and in continued communication with, with our spouse or with family members and just realizing, you know, if we if we're in a relationship, we don't know that yet. It is good to kind of recognize that and ask your, your spouse, you know, which one is most important to you? Which which 
communicates love best to you and use that in your time of, you know, grief with the loss of your child. But, you know, just in everyday um, marriage maintenance and building and that type of thing. So, I mean, if I'm communicating a certain um, love language of words of of encouragement, and that's not Shonda's love language, it's like we're trying to meet that communication uh, goal, but we're going past each other. So mm-hmm. we don't want to go past each other. We want to know what, well, I want to know what her communication route is and, and try to meet that. And same with her, with, with me. So just a, a neat book that we have learned over the years and um, something to kind of keep in mind and be able to communicate well in the time of loss as well. And a personal example of that is that my love language has always been quality time. Um, Keith's usually is a physical touch. We both have words of affirmation in there. But one thing that was just super important for quality time was that every evening in those first few months, we would take a walk. And that was the time I could verbally process and have his undivided attention. And that was satisfying. Uh, The words of affirmation were extremely important for both of us just to continue to tell each other what a good parent that we were and how much we know that we loved our daughter and Mm -hmm. that we weren't to blame. And so those were good things. I did want to mention Gary Chapman. He, he applies love languages across many, many books. Uh, You can, if you're, if you are not familiar with him, just Google him and you'll find lots of information, but there is a new one um, called holding on to love after you've lost a baby. And it's Mm -hmm. by Gary Chapman and he co-authored it with Sandy McVicker. So we'll, we'll get that information uh, to Laura, but um, again, it's a little more specific to infant loss, but the principles apply to any loss, but there is a helpful section in the book where they talk about how can you apply these love languages specifically in light of child loss. So one example was, the wife's love language was gift giving. And so the husband sent flowers on the um, anniversary of the of their child's death for the first, I think each month for the first year. So that was a way to apply mm. it in a different way. Mm. And then I think the Sullivans are going to talk about some other ideas. Yeah, we're going to just spend a little bit of time talking about biblical principles of marriage. And, you know, these biblical principles are always there, Mm -hmm. um, but we need to continue to apply them um, after the loss of a child. And the first one is communication, obviously. Um, Communication is always such a big issue in marriage. And I think we very often, and I always say this, I I really believe women maybe are more um, guilty of this than men, we assume that our husbands can read our minds. (laughs) And I know I do that a lot still, but they can't, they can't. And so they can't know, our husbands cannot know, our wives cannot know what we are thinking, what we are feeling if we don't tell them, if we don't express it. Um, And we can't just assume, I can't assume that he's gonna read my mind and know what I need unless I tell him Mm -hmm. what I need. And you know, when you're early on in grief, you don't even know what you need. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what I needed from him um, a lot of the time, but he was there. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you don't need a lot of words. You just need them to be there. I like what Shonda said about taking a walk because for me, um, and I think for us, a lot of times the times we communicate best 
are not when we're necessarily sitting face to face talking to each other, but when we're beside each other mm-hmm. <laughs> walking mm-hmm. or riding in the car or something like that, where we're not necessarily looking in each other's eyes and talking. It just seems to open up the lines of communication a little bit. Uh, I, I think you've got to be intentional about that. And I, I think that's something that you've got to work on uh, throughout your marriage. And, and that's, you know, you go back to when you were dating, you, you wanted to just be together and talk you know, and have each other's attention. And I think that's more, you know, it's still important now. And, you know, if, when you come home, if it's sitting on the couch and you turn the TV off or if you, or your, your phone, you, you put it away and say, Hey, let's talk and whatever it is and just process the day together. And, uh, I just think that's important. And, and we learn from, we learn from, a question that you can ask your spouse in this journey is just instead of not how you're doing, because you know you're not doing very well after loss of a child. It's it's tough. But how's your grief today? And that can sometimes can open up communication to say, you know, it's it's tough. I had I had a meltdown or I when this happened today, I thought about uh, Hannah and or whatever it may be. But I really I got that from another parent that said, as they asked each other that question, you know, the, how are you? They just said, how are, how is your grief today? And I think that's, that can spur communication mm-hmm. and, and uh, to be genuine and say, because she may appear to have had a good day, but when you ask that question, you can say, you know, I was, I was, it was tough, you know, and, and if you don't, if you're not intentional about that, but I, I just think communication is so key throughout your marriage and, and, uh, it's important. So the, the other thing is, uh, I need to be reminded that Jill is not my comforter. The Holy spirit is my comforter. And that's where I get ultimate comfort is from, is from, from Christ and mm-hmm. just the Holy yeah. spirit and seeking to spend time as, as an individual in God's word and praying and just listening to what God would have, not just at praying for things, but also listening. And, uh, but but just also to rem- be reminded that that our spouse is not our our perfect comforter. Only the Holy Spirit is our perfect comforter, and uh, uh, that's important to just be reminded of that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people are always going to let us down. Um, we're always going to be disappointed in people, and there are going to be times that we're going to be disappointed in our spouse when they're not, I don't know, meeting our grief needs like we think they should but we've got to remember they're grieving too. And, and like Brad just said, they're, they're not going to be perfect comforters. We're not going to know how to comfort each other perfectly, but the Holy spirit is a perfect comforter. So we need to turn to him. Uh, I think we need to seek to do that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. the love languages and uh, mm-hmm. communication attempting to get to know, we, we need to strive to be that. But at the end of the day, the Holy spirit is our, is the, is the perfect comforter. That's right. Um, forgiveness and grace are really important. Um, we need to remember that each one of us are under great stress, um, dealing with a deeper pain than, than either one of us has probably ever experienced before. So we need to be very lavish with forgiveness and uh, with grace. And that could be just forgiving forgiving them for, for not talking or forgetting, forgiving them for you know forgetting a date or something like that. But sometimes you you may find yourself in a situation where one of the spouses actually is directly responsible through an accident or you know some other circumstance for the death of the child. And we have 
gotten to know several people through the while we're waiting ministry that that is the case. And the Lord has allowed grace in those situations and complete forgiveness and absolvement in those situations or absolution. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to see. And so that's something I think we, we all need to be very intentional and deliberate about, and that is forgiving our spouse for anything that might need to be forgiven. We also need to put the needs of our spouse before ours a lot of times. There's a, a mom that I talked to recently on the podcast who talked about how when it was their daughter's birthday, she at the, her first birthday in heaven, she went through and she collected all of these wonderful pictures of her daughter and created this beautiful album and wanted to surprise her husband with it on that special day so they could look through those pictures and talk about their daughter. And when she gave it to him, he, he said, I can't look at these. I can't look at those pictures. It was too painful for him. And she could have had her feelings hurt and she could have been angry and and um, she could have just just really uh, struggled with that. But, you know, she realized that he wasn't ready for that. And so she put his needs first and put that book away until Mm -hmm. there was a time that uh, maybe he would be ready for it. And so that's just an example of, of just one simple thing. Um, that we may need to think about in in our spouse's grief, that we need to put their needs first. Sexual intimacy is also very important and can be very difficult um, after the loss of a child. It's you just feel like, um, you know, we we shouldn't do something that's enjoyable or pleasurable when our child is not here, when our child has died. And that takes some time to work through. And um, I remember the first few times were very hard and, you know, lots of tears, but um, it's important not to neglect that and to carefully together work mm-hmm. through um, those issues. And then I think the last thing is to remember who the real enemy is. Um, yeah. We are going to have disagreements in our marriages. We're going to have disagreements about grief and, and, you know, just all of the things that we disagreed about before our child loss. And now it's magnified by that. But the enemy is not each other. Mm -hmm. The enemy is never each other. The enemy is Satan. And he would like nothing more than to destroy our families, um, to tear our marriages apart. I think that's one of the things that that he makes a priority is, is tearing families apart. And we need to remember that he is the enemy. Mm-hmm. Brad is not my enemy. He will never be my enemy. Satan is my enemy. So I need to make sure that we need, as a as a married couple, we need to make sure we are focused on who the real enemy is. And, and I think we, uh, I remember us talking about that early on that, you know, that, that we it is a spiritual battle, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. us in this grief journey. And just to identify the enemy and, and just, whatever the circumstances may be, but I know that we talked to it about it. She said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm battling today. And the devil is, is uh, throwing those fiery arrows at me. And, you know, and, and, you know, we talk a lot about who, you know, just identifying the enemy, but also that that's real. And that's part of this, you know, when, when you're vulnerable and you're, you're, you're tired, you're not sleeping, the devil can get creep in there and your mind is not where it needs to be sometimes because you're just not resting and you're grieving and 
but but just remember the 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 the, the devil is our en- enemy and, and just identify that. And we talk a lot about it at the retreats, putting on the armor of God. And we have a, weapons against the enemy. And and really just be rem- remind yourself of that as, as you look in Ephesians and the it talks about the the, the the armor of God and just just rest in that and you put on that helmet of salvation, that breastplate of righteousness, that shield of faith, the the belt of truth and so forth. Uh and, and remind, remind yourself what that is, and, you know, and, and, and that you do have and that you can armor up with your with your mm-hmm. spouse. And, and, you know, back to the so, soldier analogy, mm-hmm. I mean, you've got that, you know, your shield of faith, you're walking mm-hmm. forward and you've got shield that it's, you know, you, you know, if you really study the armor of God, when, when you're li- linked together, you're, you're more safe uh, in, with that armor. And um uh, I know there's some studies out there on the armor of God that's really been good for us to just be reminded that we've always we've always been conscious of that, but but since uh, in this grief journey, it's been it's been a good help just to remember that we're in a spiritual battle and we got armor to to help us go forward in this journey. All right, and you guys had some to share, I think, about counseling, or you may want to add a little bit to those biblical principles, whatever you want to share. Sure. Well, I guess we would probably just, we would just echo what you all have said. Um, Whatever was true and good and strong in your marriage before child loss, just dig into that. And it's okay to set the grief aside. It's okay to laugh and say, we're taking a break from it tonight. Um, We're going to go do something fun by ourselves to get, you know, with each other or with friends, but um, that's okay too. So just finding your way back to each other and what the what it won't be the same as it was before. I think I shared this at the conference. Um, Our son had initially said, mom and dad will never be the same. And I said, you're right. I hope we aren't. This should change us. And um, hopefully it will change us to be more like Christ in every way. And that Mm -hmm. includes our our marriage and the way we relate to each other. So Mm -hmm. um, just echo those things. We'll make a comment here on counseling, um, just to know that that is a resource available, uh, either professionally or pastorally. Um, Take advantage of those resources. That is something that we were able to do in the first weeks after Megan um, went to heaven, was uh, met with our pastor for several Mm -hmm. months. um, And that was regular and then more intermittent. And then we did go see a professional counselor um, just to kind of check in. We actually had friends saying, we weren't noticing a need per se. And friends just couldn't believe that we wouldn't seek professional counseling in light of the circumstances. And so we did go talk to a professional counselor and just checked in and, you know, kind of ran our status past her and got an assessment and got some direction that way. I have talked with some couples who decided that working together in those initial weeks or early months of grief was so difficult and they did feel like they were burdening each other in such a way that it was detrimental. And so finding individual counseling uh, was helpful initially and then it brought them back closer together. So all those things to say, those are resources available, explore those, don't be afraid of those and um, and work with each other on, on a plan for that. Ideally, it would be good to talk to, you know, someone at church or, you know, a counselor or something like that. But if if you can't find um, someone um, in that um, 
area or you can you can't relate with uh, one of those professionals um, or that's just not your thing um, you know try to find someone um, you know speak to your spouse would be the ideal thing but maybe a friend at work that um, maybe you've had a couple encounters and you could say hey you know this is someone that could um, listen to me and I could you know confide in and um, share my thoughts with um, just uh, trying to locate a, a friend, a coworker that uh, would uh, listen to what you have to say. And I know that's a little bit daring and might be hard, but um, you know, there's people out there that uh, would be willing to listen and be uh, able to, you know, provide support or um, you know, direction. So. And I think yeah. that's a good segue for uh, the bereaved parent communities <clears throat> that we serve. So Sullivan's, yeah. why don't you talk a little bit about uh, while we're waiting? Sure. Um, while we're waiting is a ministry that we founded back in 2011. Um, one of the things that we discovered almost immediately after Hannah went to heaven is that the people we were most comfortable being around were other bereaved parents. Um, we just were so drawn to other moms and dads who had experienced child loss because we found that the things we wanted to talk about were not what the people around us really wanted to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, we were kind of up here. We wanted to talk about things of eternal significance and the people around us were wanting to talk about the weather and sports and things like that. <laughs> just, just different. And um we attended a retreat uh, that was hosted by Nancy Guthrie, and um, it was very, very helpful to us. And God planted a seed in our hearts at that event to uh, start a retreat type ministry in Hot Springs, Arkansas, where we lived. And so we hosted our first retreat in um, April of 2011. And our original thought was that we would host two retreats a year uh, just here in Arkansas. And God has seen fit over the last 12 years or so to grow the ministry beyond what we ever would have um, asked or imagined to the point where we are hosting retreats in uh, states all over the country, um, all over the United States. We've had a while we're waiting retreat in Africa. Our plan, Lord willing, will be going to Germany and hosting a while we're waiting retreat there next spring. I see a couple of people in the chat um, that have been to retreats, somebody that had been to a retreat in Ohio and one in Wisconsin. But at our retreats, we come in, they, they're from Friday night through Sunday morning, and we just spend the weekend most of the time sharing our children's stories with one another and, and talking about things that only bereaved parents understand. And it's, it's just a beautiful thing to see people arrive on Friday evening, often very broken and um, heavy, just a heavy burden on their shoulders. Nobody wants to come. Mm. Nobody wants to qualify to come to a bereaved parent retreat. And so they come in with that heaviness. But then by the time they leave on Sunday morning, uh, their countenance has changed. Mm. It's just a little bit lighter. They've got people to help carry the burden mm. and um, to show that you know, even though we'll never be the same um, after the loss of a child, that the grief, the pain that that we're feeling um, at the beginning, it, it's not always going to be that way. Mm -hmm. It's not always going to be that heavy. I'm always hesitant to say it gets better, but it does get different mm -hmm. and it, it won't always hurt as bad as it does um, at the beginning. And so I hope that's an encouragement to some. But our retreats are free. 
And so again, we, we have them all over the country. Our website is www.whilewarewaiting.org where you can find out about all of our retreats. And then we also have support groups, about 50 support groups in different areas around the country. You see those on the website. And then we've got a couple of Facebook groups. Our large private Facebook group is called While We're Waiting, Support for Bereaved Parents. You can type that in your search bar on Facebook and um, there's some screening questions to answer and then we can get you added to that group. And then finally, we have a podcast um, called While We're Waiting, Hope After Child Loss. And it's an interview format podcast most of the time. And it's been a real blessing to do. We started it um, in the summer of 2020 when we couldn't do any retreats because of COVID. And it's been a blessing to be able to continue that I get to talk to lots of wonderful people. And one of the questions that I always ask, at least when I'm talking to a couple, is how has your grief impacted your marriage? What advice would you have um, for other grieving parents? And so um, if you're looking for more resources and just to hear how, how God has brought other people through or is bringing, I don't want to say brought people through like it's a finished process, but is bringing people through this journey of And they're able loss. to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we talk about moving forward. We don't talk about moving on because we don't <clears throat> move on from losing our children, but we can move forward because as we move forward in this life, we're actually getting, getting closer <laughs> to seeing our children again. Um, mm-hmm. Our past with our children was wonderful and, and, and we miss it but we have so much more in the future with them. So we talk a lot about moving forward in grief. So that's a little bit about while we're waiting. Um, You guys also have a ministry called Grief Hope. Talk about that. Yeah, thanks. Um, We are a newer ministry uh, and similar story in that we went to a Guthrie retreat and the Lord said, um, why don't you think about doing something for bereaved parents in your local area? So we are um, based in Indiana and we do offer uh, weekend retreats as well. It started out as just for moms um, for a full weekend retreat and then um, adding couples as well. So um, fewer retreats per year than what you'll see on while we're waiting's page. Um, But we have just really enjoyed meeting with other bereaved parents. And like Jill said, the difference between Friday night and Sunday afternoon is so remarkable. And the way I describe that experience for myself to people is I get a front row seat to watch God do his work through the other parents ministering to each other. And Mm -hmm. um, it's just a beautiful time. So um, our retreats are a little bit smaller uh, and we go to um, retreat centers or sites um, that Mm -hmm. are not part Mm -hmm. of our ministry. Um, One is up in Middlebury, Indiana. If you're from this area, you'll recognize that as Amish country. And one's down in Noblesville, Indiana, which is near Indianapolis. Um, And then we'll also be hosting some online groups um, in the winter in 2024. So that's new for us, too. So you can find out more about us at um, www.griefhope.net. So we look forward to having you. And we will say we've been to a um, while we're waiting retreat. We've been to a Guthrie retreat. We've participated in some Our Hearts Are Home. So this is a wonderful um, 
bereaved parent community, that uh, we all support one another's ministries and support one another. And you are welcome to attend any of or all of um, and mix around between these three ministries. And uh, we would all love to have you and and work well together. So thank yeah, you. Well, and just putting in a plug for Our Hearts Are Home. Um, they do something a little bit different. They, they have gatherings from time to time, but then they also have a lot of virtual things, a lot of online things, book studies, um, online gatherings. I know they're doing uh, just, just a variety of different things. They've got something going on all the time. And then a recent thing that they've started doing are these conferences for bereaved parents. And, you know, there's a lot of conferences. There are a lot of conferences for bereaved parents, but many of them are not faith-based. And so there are a lot of things included in those conferences that are not biblical, um, that are not theologically sound. And so when Gary and Laura started Our Hearts, Our Home, one of the things that they had a desire to do was to make available conferences that were biblically sound, where people could come and and know that everything that they heard, every speaker um, was going to point them to to Jesus. Mm. And so um, we've had one in Tulsa. We most recently had one in Indianapolis um, just last month. And then we're going to be having one in Virginia, Lynchburg, right? In yes. the spring. And then we're going to be back in, in Indianapolis in the fall. So just check out their website also. And I know that uh, Laura will put the yeah. link to that in the chat box. So you'll be able to see that. Um, but they're a wonderful ministry as well. Gary and Laura House are just awesome. So, and we appreciate them hosting this webinar for us. And what I would just say too, as as we realize, uh, as a as a body, the body of Christ, as believers and parents that have lost children, we support each other, and and, and that's what I would say. I, I I grow and learn from other people, and. You know, whether it be our hearts or home or, or whatever situation or uh, that I'm in is other people help me. And then God allows me to help other people. And that's a blessing to see God do that. That's back to uh, Sean, what you're saying about, you know, uh, a retreat that from start to finish. You see how God uses the people to help each other and and help them to understand they're not alone. They're not the only ones. And uh, our hearts are home does that as well. So uh, we invite you to any or all. And uh, the the ultimate comforter is is the Holy Spirit. And it, uh, we all want to point you to that. And uh, but we can learn from each other. And, and the, you know, the Revelation 12, 11, uh, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So when I hear your testimony, it helps me. And when you hear my testimony, it helps you. And uh, we help each other. So I would just encourage you to seek out those resources that we've just talked about. I'd like to just double on that as well and just say, um, you know, this network of um, organizations is, is key. And uh, just that, you know, they are going to... Um, all of our organizations are going to provide um, information on, um, you know, godly principles. That's and, true. you know, if we believe that we are created in God's image and we are a creation of him, there is an owner's manual um, and it's mm -hmm. called the Bible. And, you know, what better way to um, get the truth of how to deal with, you know, life and, and joy and pain and grief and other things in life. So, um, yeah, please um, plug into uh, 
um, those types of networks and organizations that have been mentioned. And, um, you know, I, I just thought I'd mention here real quick that um, one other thing I might be able to offer to um, grieving uh, fathers or mothers or either guys, I guess, are more compartmentalized. They can put things in different compartments. And if it is helpful, it's been helpful to me. I can look at my grief in um, the physical realm. And then I can look at my grief in the spiritual realm. And, you know, the grief that I have to deal with daily is in that physical realm. But I always go back to my spiritual compartment and know who I am in Christ and the promises that he has for me. And, you know, as you mentioned, Brad, we, we know our children are in heaven and um, they're waiting there for us to join them at, in, in one day or someday. So um, that is a um, comfort. So, Amen. Yeah. yes. I can't think of any better way to close. Okay. Uh, you want me to close in prayer? Yeah, why don't you close the yeah. prayer and yeah. be done. Father, we just thank you for this time to come together and just to talk about, as as Keith said, the you and the hope we have in you and your principles and your word. And and uh, Father, we do want to hold on to to, the, to your truth, Father. And uh, Father, I just lift up the, the parents and the husbands and wives here that are listening to this uh this, this video and watching this video that you would just uh, draw the, each of them to you, Father, and just uh, uh, remind them of, of who they are in you and that you are our hope and our comfort and our peace. And I just encourage them, Father, and uh, I just thank you for this time that we've had. I thank you for the hope that we have in you and the reminder of uh, eternity in heaven that we have through the through the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Jesus. And we look forward to that day, Lord. And uh, thank you again for, for this time. And uh, we love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the While We're Waiting, Hope After Child Loss podcast. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, please take just a moment to leave a rating or a review. And please feel free to share it with someone you know who might be helped by it. We're so grateful for all of you who come back and listen every week, and those of you who may be listening for the very first time. I hope God has used it to encourage you today and to help you live well while you're waiting.